Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the first episode of AT Talks. And uh, I think two months, or it'll be two months in a couple of days. Uh, we've had a rough couple of months with the whole pandemic and being furloughed and refurloughed and laid off and transitioning work. But AT Talks is back. Today's topic, we're with Paul, and we're going to talk about building uh, a sports medicine department, building that foundation, and then growing that department into holistic, collaborative athletic healthcare. So, Paul, if you could quickly, uh, not quickly, take your time, introduce yourself to the six or seven people that will watch this that are not Wolfpack members. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Tom. Uh, Paul Rupp. I'm an athletic trainer at Oakland High School in Northern Virginia. Uh, I've been there 20 years now. I just finished my 20th year, about to start year 21. Prior to that, I was at St. John's University for four and a half years. Prior to that, I was a GA at Syracuse University for two years. I got my master's there in uh, ex and, uh phys ed with a concentration in exercise physiology and I got my bachelor's degree at East Stroudsburg University in Pennsylvania. All right what what did your job uh, look like in terms of the sports medicine department when you got there 20 years ago? Well it's funny there was a, a slightly older gentleman that had been there 20 years when I got there and he hired me and he says Paul I'm riding your coattails I'm gonna last as long as you'll let me last. And he had an athletic, he had a team physician that was orthopedic who was working with the, the team formerly known as the Redskins. Um, and we were trying to contact him and he wasn't answering, he wasn't answering. So we got some notes from some other athletes from their team, from their family doctors. And we, we didn't hear from this, this doctor that's working with the, with the Washington team. So um, I reached out to one of the other doctors. And sure enough, the first game, there's two orthopedics on our sideline. Uh, my head athletic trainer and I, we didn't communicate very well. And um, sure enough, it was a really awkward situation. Um, so it's really important to have the communication on your staff. So you had the team physician, which was working for the Washington right. football team. And then you brought in a second orthopedic right. physician. Okay, so how did how did that play out after that? Was that a one time deal or? Yeah, yeah. I walked out to the to the new new physician and said, "Listen, I I didn't communicate with the other athletic trainer, and he didn't communicate with the other doctor who's been our team doctor for a couple of years now, for years now. And uh, I'm really sorry to waste your time." And and he he understood. He was like, I, it's, "It's all good," and it was fine. And so after you know a couple of years, that that doctor stayed with us, and and he kept working with us, and. They stopped showing up for games. He calls and say, "Hey, I, I can't be there. I've got this event, or I can't be there. I got this, and um, I got somebody filling in. Or if you need me, just call me." And so, you know, I, I think we went like five years without him stepping foot on campus. And I was getting old and in a hurry, and we had some other doctors that were contacting us. And, hey, we'd love to be your team physician. And, no, no, we already got one. We already have one. Thanks anyway. Then there was another one. The son played football for us and uh, played lacrosse and golf for us. And he really wanted to be part of the team. And, and I really had a problem with a parent of an athlete because we had a conflict with a parent of an athlete being our doctor. Um, so I kept putting him off, putting him off. And then when his son graduated and his daughter graduated, I reached out to our original doctor and said, listen, if you don't really want to do this, I understand. But we want somebody that wants to be here. That's the key. I want somebody that wants to be there, wants to be part of the organization, and wants to take part in what we do as an organization. Um, and he kind of understood, and he was kind of getting up there, and he was getting ready to sort of start to retire and fade out, and his son was going on to play football at, it, at their other high school. And so he was kind of comfortable stepping away, and we were able to get this other doctor come in, and we really created a, a good family organization. 
you, you had these other doctors reaching out to you. Was that just because of word of mouth of what you were doing at the school and the athletic healthcare you were providing, or is that a culture thing where you're at? I, I think I think it's more of the population. We're fairly dense uh, population, Fairfax County, right outside of Washington D.C. Every third house down the road is either a lawyer or a doctor, one or the other. So um, there are so many medical organizations in the area. Um, you can't you can't throw a stone without popping a doctor. So. Uh, they and and a lot of them really want to help the community and want to support the organiza uh, different organizations. In our county system, we have 25 high schools, so you know we got to fill a lot of roles. So there's there's quite a few doctors that just want to support their community, and this is a great way to support their community. Um, so they're trying to reach out and, and be part of ours. Okay, so you're a few years in. You're going through a couple of different physicians. Uh, when did it get? Uh like more settled and more consistent for you and your, your team? Well, when, when I was hired, we had an orthopedic team physician and a family practice team physician. Wow. Okay. And the family practice team physician, she actually got a gig with uh, university of Maryland. So she left. And so I contacted our original doctor and said, Hey, um, I'd like to replace her with a family practice doctor. Who do you recommend? And he set us up with a family practice organization that he'd worked with and, and talked with them a little bit. And it was a real strong uh, practice in our community. Um, and they, one of their physicians was happy to help us. So um, he, he came on board. Um, and again, we started to grow. And then unfortunately, he was, he was a competitive uh, road bike racer. And he got into a real bad accident, went head first to a telephone pole and really struggled for a long time. So one of the other doctors in our practice, her daughter graduated from our school, so she was familiar with us, and she joined our team. And when she came on, she brought on their, they have a residency program, and at the time that she was coming on, they were developing a, a sports medicine fellowship. So they brought their fellowship, and they, and they used us as part of their application to create the fellow, sports medicine fellowship. So we were an offsite medical facility that they could send their fellow to to learn about sports medicine so their fellow comes out to our campus and, and is on our campus for our athletes we have a setup that they come to us tuesday afternoons and then they come to friday night football games and um, one of the basketball games that week and then one of the spring sports each week so we have a doctor on our campus twice a week every week wow that sounds amazing <laughs> it almost sounds unreal for the area that i'm in that it's very very difficult just to get a physician out to a home football game or a big sectional or regional let alone someone you can consistently see week in and week out and refer patients to i think that starts now i think you need to network and you need to find somebody like i said that a you need to i, I think there's three tricks to creating your sports medicine team one, you need to be self-aware. You need to know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. You need to know what your community needs. And then you need to find somebody that's willing to fill your weaknesses. So if you're really strong orthopedically, do you need an orthopedic team doctor? Probably not. You could probably use a family practice or even an ER, an emergency medicine uh, physician. Think about who, who do you want on your sideline on a Friday night? You got a broken arm. You know it's a broken arm. Are they going to play? Probably not. Do you need an orthopedic to tell you that? But you get a helmet to the spleen, and you're not sure. Is it a spleen injury? Did he just lose his wind? 
Um, you know, there's a lot of things that could be happening in a gut injury. Who do you want on the sideline? An orthopedist or emergency medicine? So there's a lot of things to weigh in there. And that's kind of why we created that holistic team where we have the orthopedic and the family practice, the family practice physicians with their residents, they're doing rounds in the ER constantly. So they've got those skill sets pretty uniquely. What other um, components have you added to that collaborative team, to that holistic approach over the years besides those two physicians? So we have a dentist that comes out to our facility twice a year. He takes impressions of the, any athlete that wants it, takes an impression of their mouth. I get the mold back and we make custom mouthpieces in the athletic training room. And with that, he's on my speed dial. So you get the soccer player that gets kicked in the mouth and loses a tooth. I can text them or call them right away and say, hey, that's what I got. Where do you want to meet them? And they meet, usually will meet them right in their office. Sometimes they'll say, I'll just put it back in there. I'll see them tomorrow morning because it's not too bad. Or sometimes it's, I'll meet them in five minutes in the office. You know, it just really depends on the scenario. But we've got them on a speed dial. So we have access to a dentist whenever we need. Um, and that's come in handy lately. We had a wrestler. I really don't understand how it happened. But one of our heavyweights got, got rolled, got tossed a little bit. And somehow he hooked the bottom teeth on the mat, because you know the mat's a little soft, and yeah. fractured three of his front bottom teeth, kind of tilted them out. You don't really know how you get thrown with your mouth open and land on your bottom jaw and not on your nose, but, you know, things happen. That's why, that's one of the excitements of high school athletics. Um, but on top of having the orthopedic, the family practice, the sports medicine fellowship, the dentist, we also have a meteorologist on our team. Okay, so, so you got you got a lot going on. That's amazing. I reach, I reach follow a meteorologist on uh, Facebook and me being from New York, I love the snow. So in the wintertime, I really follow his snow reports and they're pretty accurate. Um, and we had an incident on a Wednesday night in the spring, soccer team's playing, lightning storm comes in, we get everybody off the field. I go in, pull up weather.com on the, on the computer and it's not red coming at us, but purple. We're like, ah, oh, we're not going to get this in. We'll cancel and we'll reschedule. So we did that, and as we're leaving, the skies cleared up and we got no storm. We could have gotten the game in. Well, we rescheduled for Wednesday. Everybody's left already. So the following Wednesday, the exact same scenario happens. Storm rolls in, lightning. We get everybody in, go to weather.com. Purple's coming at us. Oh, we're not going to get this in. We go to leave, and the sky's clear. So now I reach out to this guy on, on the Internet, and I say, um, what's a good website I can go to? My coaches are going to stop listening to me. They're going to, we're going to get in trouble whether they're on the road or whatever. We're going to get in trouble with the weather. He said, well, this is what I do for a living. Um, I, he's, he was a former military meteorologist, so he'd, play, he'd forecast the weather for maneuvers or whatever. Uh, he retired from the military and created his own practice here in Virginia um, doing forecasting for future traders, uh, farmers, construction people, people that work outside. Well, we work outside. Why couldn't we benefit from his skills? So he gave me a cell phone number for that spring. If I saw a storm coming in, I could text them or call them and say, DT, I've got this weather coming in. What do you think? And I'd hear him banging on the computer and, and he'd call me right back and he'd bang on the computer and say, oh, no, the storm's going to go south of you. You don't need to worry. You're, you're safe. Or there were a couple of times where he said, oh, this is a big one. It's coming right at you. Get them off the field. Get them safe. And he was, he was pretty, there wasn't, there wasn't many times where I was like, ah, oh, DT, you're killing us. And he was pretty much on the on the ball, and we had that access to him right away. What are what other providers do you uh, 
do you collaborate with on a uh, you know seasonal basis or that you like to refer to? Well, it, we've I've really paid attention to our student body and their parents, and we had a uh, a former dancer and gymnast, the two sisters. Um, their dad was a chiropractor slash PT. He had both. He was a dual credential. Um, and he wasn't one of those chiropractors that wanted you to come in every other day to get your back cracked and wasn't doing any healing. He wanted to solve the problem and fix it and move, and move on. And yes, he was some, he has some holistic beliefs like most chiropractors and that's okay. That, that's not a bad thing. Um, but we use him as a reference now. Um, we've, we've, he's been part of our team for probably 12 years now, 13 years. And we've had a couple of uh, physical therapists in our area. But unfortunately, they've kind of moved on or retired. Um, so I, I'm in the process of finding some physical therapists in our area. And I don't refer out too much. It's more of hey, I have an ACL surgery right before Christmas break and I need somebody to start my rehab, you know, things like that. But our parent, you know, there are people that want the physical therapist in the area. I've actually had a parent tell me it's better if you pay for it, isn't it? Uh, yeah. told, I told that parent they can write me a check if they want. They're like, oh, really? I could do that? Like, no, I'm kidding. No, I can't take your money in that way. I'm already getting paid. But they ended up making a donation to the school. So, you know, it worked out that way anyway. So I, I bought two uh, treatment tables out of it. Um, but yeah, we use a physical therapist, chiropractor, um, dentist, uh, ortho, family practice, meteorologist. Those are the ones that are on hand. Our school has a sports, uh, a, a uh, psychologist and a social worker in the school during the day. So we have access to those facilities, those uh, specialists as well. And what's your relationship with your nurse like? Oh, it's it, well, it was real strong, but she just retired. So we've got a new one coming in. Um, I've sent her an email that she hasn't replied to yet, but with all that's going on in the, in the health field, I'm sure I'm kind of low on her tone of pole right now because we're, uh, we're not going into school until after the first quarter at the earliest. So, um, but we'll get together and we'll, we'll form a great relationship. She, uh, when we have athletes with concussions, she is one of the people on my list. So if an athlete has to lay down for a while because they're overworked or whatever, they can go to the clinic and lay down for 15 minutes to a half hour and just kind of decompress and, and relax. And as long as I communicate with her, she knows they're coming. We have that set up. We've had that set up in the past. I'm hoping that will continue now, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a new person that I, that I kind of have to get to know. It, can you take a moment to uh, elaborate the importance that a, a school nurse can have on uh, an athletic trainer's care and the patient's care throughout the day when, you know, if you're working in a secondary setting, you might not get to the school until 1, 2, 2.30 when the nurse is there at 7 a.m. and they're an extension of the care. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, any medical professional that has constant contact with, with the people you're working with, whether they're an athlete or not, um, it's vital to have great communication with. And yeah, like you're saying, if, they, if they're getting in um, and they're seeing some of the students earlier in the day, you've got a good relationship. Uh, we often get the email, hey, I saw uh, Thomas B. Uh, this afternoon, he, his, his headache was really fired up during math class. You know, so we, we get that kind of communication and I thank them and, and we communicate and um, especially now with the contagious diseases, uh, kids with ring wrestlers with their skin diseases, we communicate back and forth because our, sc our school nurses are hired by the, um, the county department of health. They're not 
they're not officially employees of the school system. So that they can help with that access with the Department of Health, um, heaven forbid, you know, okay, I'm gonna age myself a little bit to you, Tom, but I was working when uh, H1N1, the swine flu was, was an outbreak. And anybody that had any kind of flu symptoms, we had to communicate with the Board of Health and our school nurse was that uh, liaison to the Board of Health. So, so it's really important to have a great relationship and great communication with the nurse, and especially in that situation. Yeah, I absolutely agree. If, uh, if you're a practicing athletic trainer and you don't have a good relationship with your nurse or if you don't know who your nurse is or what they look like or you don't ever talk to them, go out there and start that relationship because they can be absolutely vital uh, to your athletic healthcare team. Do you and it's, have... it, well, it's really important also to know what their role is because mm -hmm. there have been a couple times during the school day um, I, I, when I first, first hired, I, I had to teach, I taught during the day and then I would go in the athletic training after school and I was teaching one day and we had a, a girl had a bug bite. She said, Mr. Rupp, this bug bite's killing me. What should I do? So that's easy. It'll put a little ice on it. It'll calm down. It'll, it'll decrease the histamine response and it won't hurt so much. Why don't you go down to the clinic and I can't leave class, but why don't you go down to the clinic and get a quick bag of ice. They'll give you four cubes, put it on there, come back up. It'll never come back. So after class, I go down to the nurse. I say, did so-and-so come in and see you about a bug bite on her hand? Oh, yeah, we had to call 911. So what? She had a bug bite. Oh, she was having an allergic reaction. We had to call 911. Really? Yep, and she pulled out her manual. She had to follow the manual, and manual says any allergic reaction is a 911 call. Said, All right, needless to say, I don't send people in with bug bites anymore because you don't need to go to 911 because of a bug bite. So it's important to know what their role, what their expectations are and what you're sending to them. Um, at the same time, we had a, a, an athlete who was working out in weight training class, went to put the dumbbell on the rack and his finger was in the way and he, and he obviously broke it. It was an obvious deformity in the, in the finger. So I put a splint on it, give him a bag of ice and sent him down so he could do the proper paperwork and documentation that he got injured during the school day and all that kind of stuff. And she came down with steam coming out of her ears. What are you doing? You're not authorized to treat. I said, I said, I did basic first aid. Calm down. I splinted in the position it was in. I did no further harm. Relax. Well, you're not authorized to do that. And I said, oh, by the way, I'm licensed. I'm licensed medical provider. And yes, I am authorized to do that. Let, let's slow your roll a little bit and let's communicate. And we, we can have a conversation about this. And she wasn't happy when I was right. But, you know. <laughs> Does your school have any type of uh, fitness staff, strength coaches, uh, wellness performance coaches, any type of fancy way to say a strength coach? Not specifically. It, we have a PE teacher that teaches most of the weight training classes. We're on a block schedule on seven, eight periods. So four periods each day. I uh, do even classes one day, odd classes the next day. Um, and the, the teachers are assigned five classes. So they get one one period, the eighth period is a steady, it's a, um, uh, what do they call it? It's basically social bonding type of thing where the uh, the teacher kind of um, lead a discussion on what's going on in society and, and how we can coordinate um, just different topics and uh, what's going on that cause teenagers stress and anxiety. Um, but then they teach five classes and they get two um, um, prep classes. So they get two periods off. So we have one weight, one teacher that teaches, PE teacher that teaches five weight training classes. 
And then we usually have one of our football coaches who is that teacher. So he does his after school stuff as well and will help out most of the teams that ask for help. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the thought of class, a lot of the sports, one of their assistant coaches usually has some experience in weight training. So they say, and sometimes it's kind of scary. I've been in there working out and um, some of the things you see them doing is quite scary. And I have to stop my workout to uh, control the scenario. Uh, now, are there any of those personnel people that you like utilizing on your healthcare team that you'll, you'll send maybe uh, an, an athlete that for the most part is healthy, but they have some deficits and you're just like, oh, you just need to get stronger. You need a, a weight room program, go see coach, whatever, and they'll get you something or, or not so, so much. Sometimes. And sometimes we communicate, you know, you're, you're finishing up the rehab and they have a little bit more sports specific. You want to focus, uh, you know, maybe an ACL that's coming back and, you want to focus a little more on sports specific dynamics and then we'll get with that coach and we work some of those final progressions back into sport through the coach through the weight room and through some of the sports specific pre-practice stuff and we coordinate with the coaches together on that and um can you go into i don't know a lot of schools that have a social worker or a psychologist on staff uh, can you talk about some dynamics with that because as you know uh mental health uh, has you know taken a big hit the last six months or so so they're going to be extremely critical once or if or when we do return to sports and school absolutely i'm a big proponent of, of the mental well-being and the mental health and and mental facilities um our social worker actually taught a class on um, psychological first aid and understanding when it when a kid is getting to a point where they, they need help and being able to recognize that and have an emergency action plan, a psychological emergency action plan. Um, and we've had to put it into function. Um, three years ago, it was just, it was just a, you know, every year you have the, that one injury where you have like 40 concussions in your football program. And then the next year you have like eight shoulder dislocations. And the next yeah. year it's five patella dislocations. Well, one year we had a psychological barrage. Cheerleading coach walks in and now here's a, here's a trick to this and understanding when you create a psychological sports, uh, psychological emergency action plan, everything tends to happen at like seven o'clock at night when nobody else is around. So at about seven o'clock after cheerleading practice one night, cheerleader coach walks in one of the girls and hands me a fistful of razor blades and says, Hey, so-and-so has a history of cutting herself and she's really worked up and she's afraid she's going to start cutting herself again. She just handed me these razor blades. What do we do? Uh, let's get you some help. And for, uh, part of her anxiety was she was already injured and that was firing her up and her dad was coming to pick her up. So we were able to set dad down in the room and let him know what she said and what was going on. And he was understanding and um, said that she was already seeing psychological counseling for that issue. Uh, and the, the sessions had been kind of separating a little bit, time to start amping them back up again. Uh, one night at about 11 o'clock at night, cross-country coach calls me. Hey, three of the four of, the, four of our athletes just called me. So-and-so left a message on Facebook saying, um, I love you all. Never forget me. Good night. And won't answer his phone. We don't know what to do. We had to get our athletic director on the phone. And we, we call our athletic director DSAs, Director of Student Activities. So if I slip and call it a DSA, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, we had to get our DSA on the phone and the uh, school um, head guidance counselor and we called the 
the family right away, probably within 10 minutes of that phone call, we had the parents on the phone breaking down the kid's door. And fortunately he was okay. But you know, episodes like that, there was like seven in a row, one fall where it was two girls were cutting, uh, one girl with an eating disorder. Another girl wouldn't get out of her coach's car. Her father was an Olympic runner and her times were not matching his. And she was afraid to go home to face him. Unfortunately, our girls basketball coach happens to also be a guidance counselor. So we were able to, she didn't want to talk with me because I was a male, but for some reason she was able to, he was able to convince her to come in and talk with him. And he was able to talk her down and get the parents on the phone and have a conversation and make sure she was safe to go home. And that's the biggest thing is to make sure they're safe. Um, you can't send them home and then have something bad happen. And, you know, you didn't do anything. And that's why it's important that uh, athletic trainers recognize that we are a uh, uh, mandated reporter. Absolutely. A lot of dynamics that go on in athletic healthcare. And including with concussions. Um, one of my favorite lines that I learned about with concussions is concussions are like bullies. They find your weakness and they pick on them. So if you have a prior history of anxiety or depression and you get a concussion, well, it's all going to be amped up and it's going to be turned way up. So your anxiety is going to be through the roof and your depression is going to be through the cellar. And if we let a kid go home, knowing that they had some depression already and there's a good chance that they're going to go off the edge because of this concussion. We need to make sure that somebody's keeping an eye on them and they're communicating and, and they need to understand that this is a temporary thing that it's not, they're not permanently going to be depressed. Once their concussion recovers, they will, their depression will return to what it was. Um, and then they can manage it a little easier, but they can't think that this is going to be a permanent thing now that they have a concussion, that they're always going to be this anxious or this depressed or whatever the case may be. So it's important to recognize those prior symptoms when you're doing your evaluation or your medical history on a concussion case. Well, we also need to recognize what type of environment are these kids going home to? Absolutely. Uh, you know, because that can play a huge role in their recovery and not, not just for concussions, for, for any type Absolutely. of injury. Uh, I mean, you know. nutrition is a huge part of, of the recovery if they're not getting proper nutrition because uh, whatever reason, um, yeah, that, that, that's an issue. Um, and, and I always say the mind is an incredible tool. Um, a lot of, uh, was it Plato or Socrates who used to preach sound mind, sound body. Uh, if the mind's not working right, the body's not going to work right. So if kid's really super anxious or depressed or their boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with them or they've got five AP tests that they failed three of them and you know the world's crashing down on them you need to support them more than just physically you need to support that emotional as well yeah there's a you know when you do your symptom score list and they list they can't they can't fall asleep they can't stay asleep and they rate that super high and then you just move on compared to well, what's wrong with sleep. And they, and they say, well, we have eight people in the house and there's three beds. So I sleep on the floor or, yeah. you know, the AC doesn't work or there's no heat. There's all types of issues that we sometimes don't even think about. Absolutely. And, and then, um, you know, it prevents us from delivering the best healthcare we can deliver and helping that athlete, you know, in ways they, they need help. But uh, we have eight minutes left. Yeah. If you could add another component, another professional, another profession, person, piece of equipment um, to make your, your team better, to expand your team, where, where are you looking? There's always equipment to add. There's always a new gadget coming out. 
um, the, the strongest the strongest tools you have are your hands and your your telephone to communicate with the parents and doctors and such. Um, from a practitioner standpoint, I would really like to have, and usually one of our fellows tends to be a DO, but they're so into learning what they're learning, they're not teaching a whole lot. I would really like somebody to be able to teach me some more, um, some manipulation things, some back, the hip. The hip is probably my weakest joint. Um, so somebody that can help manipulate that hip and low back scenario, you know, the, the kinematic chain of the low back, the hip into the knee, um, that's probably my weak area to have somebody that can help me um, learn more about that and learn tools to manipulate and manage some of those soft tissue areas um, would probably help me the most. And, and what did, you gave three pieces of advice earlier, the uh, reflect on your strengths or weaknesses, do an analysis of what your community needs and then interview those, those providers. What other tips or tricks or, or knowledge would you like to say to uh, athletic trainers in their first or second or third year at a high school, at a college uh, where they're brand new and uh, they're just kind of thrown in the fire and, you know, just go ahead and swim. If you're building your own team, like a lot of times you, you're being assigned, you know, your athletic director plays golf with the local orthopedist. And so he's your orthopedist, whether you like it or not, you need to really build a good relationship with them and communicate with them and be able to, um, have them understand what your role is and what your expectations are and have an understanding what their expectations are of you. Um, but beyond that, if you're building a program, really need to have an image of what you want to provide and what your, your sports medicine team looks like. Some people like the autonomy. They want to be left alone. They want somebody they can call and say, Hey, I'm doing this. You okay with it? Yep. Okay, great. And I'm doing my own thing and leave me alone. Um, me personally, I like having that family, that, that bond where, I can call any one of my doctors at 11 o'clock at night after a basketball game or after a wrestling match, say, Hey, I've got this. What do you think? I, this needs to be seen right away. When can they get in to see you? I don't want to feel awkward about having to do that because I only talk to my doctor once a month. You know what I mean? Uh, and I want, I want all the tools at my disposal. I want to fill all the gaps of my weakness. I'm not good with medical stuff. I'm not good with the internal organs. I know where they are and I know what they do, but, to be able to, to determine what's a, a true medical emergency, I like having that backup. So uh, I like filling those areas that are, I'm weak with and uh, having that communication. And when you're building that team, interview those people. Have an in-depth conversation about what are their skills, what do they like to do, what do they want to see, how do they want to communicate with you, um, and when can they see your patients. Uh, if you call them, you, you want to be able to get your athletes in right away. It's kind of a perk of having that bond. You don't want to call your team doctor and have them say, yeah, I can see them in about three weeks. That's not helping your football program or your basketball team or your field hockey team. You want to be able to get those athletes in right away and get them tr start that treatment process, whether it's just a bruise, whether it's a bone bruise, whether it's a fracture, or a, a torn ligament, what can they do and how can you get them back on the field as quick as possible? And if you can't, if they can't be seen for three weeks, uh, that's not super helpful. Might as well go to an urgent care at that point. Yeah, abs absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Is Which, there any, or go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You're that, good. But that's another important tool. What's your local emergency room like? What do they expect to see when you get a football player or a lacrosse player or even a wrestler or baseball player with a spinal injury? What do they expect to see when you send them? And what should they expect? What are you going to send them? You need to have that conversation with that ER that, 
um, that urgent care, all those facilities that are in your area that your athletes might go see, you need to have a relationship with them and, and know what they want and what to expect from you, including well, your EMS. But let's, let's dive into that for, we got a couple minutes. Let's talk yep. about e- EMS and building that, um, you know, that connection. So at last year at my school, I invited out, uh, we have superior, it's a third party ambulance system, uh, EMTs, paramedics, depending on who's on duty. Uh, we invited superior out and we invited our firefighters out and we tried, I tried to take them through every single facility. These are the gates you'll enter. This is how to get your way around. This is uh, what we're going to do in case of these emergencies. Um, but, uh, let, let's talk about how critical that is. A hugely important tool. And, um, again, you need to know what they're going to do and you need to know what they expect from you. Uh, if I put a splint on a kid for a broken elbow, a, bro- a broken forearm, are they going to come in and take my splint off with theirs on? And if that's the case, why am I going to put one on? What's their response time? I have not in 20 years. I have not, it's taken, it's never taken me longer than four minutes to get EMS to my facility. You know, you're, you're in the down southwest Virginia, it could take you 35 minutes, especially if there's an accident on the highway because there's only one rig and they're dealing with the accident on the highway. So they got to call on the, the third team from 45 minutes away. So you need to know what the response time is and how that all works. Um, our ambulance crew is part of our fire department and they will not sit on call at a school. They may drive by and watch part of our game, but they're not truly on call for us. They just happen to be sitting there watching. Um, so I have to know that I'm not going to have an ambulance on my field on a Friday night. I have to have plans. How do I, how am I going to get EMS in? So we communicate with our school resource officer. If a police officer calls for 911, calls for an ambulance, it gets there faster than calling through 911. So we have hand signals and my, my team, my uh, school SRO knows if I tap my head, I need my team physician. If I tap my shoulders, I need the ambulance. And if my, if I stand up at the 50 yard line and I'm doing this, my SRO knows he needs to get on the radio and call for an ambulance and get them there and where they're coming to. And our, our uh, administration knows to look for the ambulance and, and escort them up to the field. Yeah, see, and that, that was something I never thought about. My first year and a half, if we had an emergency, I was calling 911. And then my second uh, basketball season, I'm looking at the police officer with his you know, walkie-talkies and his radios. I'm like, sure. I'm like uh, Tom, why don't you just ask the police, hey, if I need to call an ambulance, will you call them for me? And they're and Everybody, every police officer I asked was like, absolutely, we'll call. Yeah. Um, so, I, so again, it goes to that communication and signal it to them. Do you have a radio that you can radio to them? They're probably on four channels, so they may not hear you radio. And so it's important to have those hand signals and they need to know. And you can be whatever hand signal you like because you need to remember them, but they also need to be able to remember them. So be able to explain to them why that's your signal and, and go from there. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and when that ambulance crew arrives, Preferably, you want to know the roles and what each person is going to do before they show up and then you're butting heads because, you know, you're trying to provide your care and they're trying to provide their care and now you have a dispute in care. That's the importance of that practice session, bringing the team, bringing the uh, EMS out to your field and make it a training session. Don't, don't come out to say, hey, I want to show you what we do. Make it a training session because they get education points for it. Like we need continuing education. So do they, and they can count that as continuing education points for themselves. So make it worthwhile for them to come out. And uh, if, if you're a young athletic trainer watching this, you're going to get both sides of the spectrum. Last year, I called two ambulances for football, and the first crew, they were the type of crew where um, we don't like, yeah, you're whatever, but this is my scene, and we're doing this our way. 
And the second time I called, that crew was like, hey, man, you do whatever you need to do, and we're here to help. So you get both sides. Yeah, we got less than a minute. But, you know, it'll kick us out when it kick us out, and then we'll go to the wolf pack. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Uh, But, yeah, have that communication with them so that they know what to expect. We had a conversation about bringing in a chopper. Is it worthwhile to bring in our chopper to our field? Do we need to know what those coordinates are? They looked around our field and said, we'll never bring a chopper in here. I can get your kid loaded up into the rig and get him to the nearest hospital before the helicopter will even land here. So that's census. You don't, we don't need to call for a helicopter here. So that's not part of our emergency.